Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. This is the word, man. We are getting ready, if you don't know, to embark upon a big journey. We about to rock through Romans. How many of y'all excited about that, man? Um, uh, it's, it's really not that... I know many of you, uh, maybe your favorite book in the Bible is Romans, and praise God for that. But Romans does not uh, take the cake in the canon. It is not a special, more special than the other 66 books, but it is a great book. And it does, it's in the Bible for a reason. It, and it does have a specific, uh, a beautiful things to draw from. And I am excited for us in this season to kind of go through this. Um, Let me just start by saying this, Um, you know, one of, uh, I have, you know when you are on IG or, or, or on the socials, and you, you, you start clicking something, and then the algorithms start to say, oh yeah, you know, so I'm just going to send you more of what you're clicking, Um, and so uh, some kind of way I started laughing at dad jokes, or, you know, too many of them, and so now I have all of the things in my algorithms are like all the things that your wife does to you that kind of annoy you, or I apologize, that's a poor witness, I just, I'm sorry. God's working on me, so, you know, don't judge me. But, and so, you know, my favorite is the one where the guy's driving, and it's like the, his wife is in the passenger seat, and um, it's the, 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 the caption is, when your wife saves you from a car wreck. And so the guy's driving, and the wife is like, honey, look out! And he hits the brakes, and then he looks up, and there's nobody there, right? And I was like, oh, that resonates, that resonates. Tim, you got to pay attention. So uh, one of my other uh, favorite things that my wife does, which I actually think is really cute, she knows I kind of hate it and like it at the same time. I, I, I can't really watch my shows with her present uh, because we're never, we're, ne- we're never on the same sequence. We don't like the same stuff. And so I'll be watching my shows, and I like kind of sci-fi, fantasy kind of stuff. And then she, she just loves to just bust on my shows. She's like, is that a horn growing out of that guy's head? That's so stupid. Why does they do that? Why is that magic trick? Is he married to her? Oh, I thought they had children. And, and then she knows she does just enough to make me think that she wants me to unpack it. And then, I, and then all of a sudden I, start, I pause it. And, I, well, this guy, she's like, I don't really want to know anyway. I'm like, oh, oh, you make me so mad. So it's a thing in our house now, and I fall for it every single time. She's like, oh, I'm, I don't even want to know anyway. It's like, oh. <laughs> what I want to do <laughs> as we start Romans is I want to kind of get ahead a little bit. I think Romans is just going to feature these three key things that, that really just help you understand what we're doing in this book, and at any point in time, you'll kind of understand the protagonist, antagonist, the plot, where we're going, the scene, um, and it really is really simple. This is, the book is about a message, a messenger, and a recipient. A message, a messenger, and a recipient. And anywhere you are, chapter 8, chapter 16, you'll just kind of be able to know, hey, man, there, there's, the, the central idea here is that there is this message, and there is a messenger, and there are recipients. And the idea is this. I think the big point, you can either take a picture or write down. The idea that's 
coursing throughout this book is that the necessity for the gospel to be rightly explained by faithful individuals and received by willing individuals in order for it to bear fruit. That's what's happening here. This, is, this book is really just about the necessity of the gospel to be rightly explained by faithful individuals. So it ain't going to happen by accident. Somebody got to explain it. It can be true, but if nobody's unpacking it, what's the good of having truth? Amen, lights and walls. It's got to be rightly explained by uh, faithful individuals, and it's got to be received by willing individuals. And that's how the gospel bears fruit. And if the Bible is rightly explained, and if the Bible is willingly received, it will bear fruit. Everybody say, it will bear fruit. That's the formula, baby. So let's talk really quickly about the messenger. Who's the messenger? It's Brother Paul. Everybody say Paul. Paul, the author of this letter, right, who is obviously um, probably the, the largest author of, of the New Testament. He writes these 13 epistles. This is one of them. Um, Paul, formerly known as Saul from Tarsus, he's actually a Pharisee. Um, when we first meet Paul or first alluded to Paul, Paul is a Pharisee from the tribe of Benjamin. We know that Paul or Saul at that particular point in time um, vehemently, zealously pursued the church of Christ, right? We know that, um, you know, whether it was violently or just he was the person giving the assist, we know he hated this news about Christ and what it was doing and how it was tinkering with the established Jewish order. You need to know that. So when Paul comes in, and he starts to unpack in his first couple of verses about who he is. You just need to know this is loaded. Everybody say, it's loaded. Paul says, I'm a slave. Paul says, I've been called. Paul says, I've been set apart. Uh, just, you, you know, uh, did y'all know I sing a little bit? So I love me some, I love, I love me some good, you know, some meter, some good rhyme. And uh, in the Greek, it's so funny. It reads, Paulos Adulos. That's for somebody else on the way home. That only, only, only Josh, who, who's like in the Greek, is like, yeah, that's so funny. Sam, he's like, yeah. So in the Greek, if you're reading it, Paulos Adulos. Um, this is one of my... <laughs> Dulos is a, a word that is very near and dear to me. You should write it down. Um, D-O-U-L-O-S. That's in English, but it suffices in Greek, right? Dulos. Um, it's the idea. Your, your translation probably reads slave. Um, I know there is a whole lot of conversation about slavery and its context in the Bible and chattel slavery, Old Testament slavery, um, Greco-Roman slavery, all those things. Obviously, Paul is writing in a Greco-Roman context. And so he's pulling for them an idea that everybody in that culture knows about. When he says, I'm a doulos, um, the idea is, uh, could be, when the first time I heard the word doulos, which was my favorite, is one who willingly enslaves themselves. And actually, uh, there, there, there's um, some, some idea that what could have happened, you know, kind of ceremonially, when one would willingly, voluntarily slave yourself, is that you would take your earlobe, and you would take a nail, and you would nail it to the door of whoever's house you wanted to serve. This was a willing service. That was the first time I was in, uh, introduced to the idea of being a doulos. Doulos uh, uh, could also mean um, 
a, the idea of being completely controlled by something or someone. So it's, anytime you see the word doulos, mean slave, it kind of carries broad, a broad sweep or semantic range, right? It could mean a couple of different things, but it absolutely means slave. We know that. And it absolutely carries with it the idea, whether voluntary or involuntary, that you have no rights of your own, not in this kind of slavery, and that whoever you are subservient to is your master. I chose my little cheesy song that I wrote because I love it, because it's my song, because I'm a doulos of the Lord Jesus. He is all I live for. He's all I put my hope in. And I take all of my leads from him. You know, it's so funny how countercultural it is as we know, as we know the horrors of slavery and what that has meant in this country. And I'm sure that Paul probably had similar stories of, of that kind. There's no way that people who have power couldn't abuse it. That didn't just happen in the 1600s. I'm sure that people were abusing power uh, back in the old time. I'm sure that when Paul introduced himself as I'm a doulos, people weren't saying... I'm sure it probably meant and it probably gave you the same shock value that it's doing right now. But I wonder who's, who actually considers himself enough of a doulos that even now with all the things that are stigmatized with slavery, I would still introduce myself. I'm a slave of Christ. And wouldn't shudder. That's right, my people. I don't even know my great-grand's names, and I don't even know the horrors that they experienced coming over in the transatlantic slave, but I'm still proud to say I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus. Are you? Paul says the first thing I want you to know about me is my life belongs to him. And what he's doing is he's establishing apostolic authority. This is the reason you need to listen to me. And the first thing I want to tell you is not that I've been through all these seminaries. The first thing I want to tell you is not how, how much uh, uh, credentials I got. I just want to tell you I'm a slave, yo. I'm devoted to him. Would to God our pastors, our ministers, our small group leaders wouldn't show off all their credentials, but they would exhibit to us we belong to him. And that's why I'm speaking to you. Do you belong to him? Paul says I'm a slave. Paul says, I've been called. That word called means you've been officially, intentionally requested for kingdom service. We believe that somewhere on the Damascus Road, that was at least the beginning of the call of, of, of Saul of Tarsus, who changed his name to Paul, that this was a specific, intentional, hey, not just a general call. This is an effective, effectual call. Hey, Saul of Tarsus, I got a job for you. This is Jeremiah. Before, I, before you came into the world, I knew you in your mother's womb. I've called you, Paul, and I've set you apart for a purpose. And that's what it means to be set apart. To be called is to, to kind of specify the intention. To be set apart is the idea of you've been earmarked for a specific purpose, right? You know what I'm saying? I, you know, every once in a while, I get some little extra money, and I ask Gina, can I, can I use this? Boss, can I use this money? 
what for? I said, well, babe, I really, I want to set this apart, you know, for my new video game that I'm trying to get. <laughs> yes, your pastor still plays video games. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. Don't bother me. But I got this set aside for a specific purpose. What was the specific purpose? Paul has been set apart for the gospel of God. Everybody say the gospel of God. Now listen, in the Bible, Ephesians, we can talk about all the gifts that we could have in the kingdom. And there's no doubt that Paul has an apostolic gift, like God gave that brother a different thing to set up and establish ministries that would live out their faith. Um, and so all of us are not apostles, even though I, every once in a while I like to refer to Clark as apostle Clark Grantham. You know what I'm saying? Because he, he might have that gift. But, you know, some of y'all come from denominations where your auntie is apostle, bishop, reverend, doctor, you know. And shout out. Salute. You know what I'm saying? Shout out about that. I love that. But all of us are not apostles. However, we are all messengers. Write it down somewhere. We are all not apostles, but we are all messengers. Paul was absolutely no debate from me. He was set apart specifically by God to be an envoy, to be a messenger, to be an emissary, right? And he had a special anointing to do that. All of us don't have that special anointing to do it with that kind of capacity and that level of success. However, all of us are messengers. And do you believe that you have been called, you've been placed, you've been set apart, you've been equipped, You've been blessed for kingdom service. Where, Pastor Tim? Wherever you are. Wherever you are, you have been called, you have been set apart, you have been equipped, and you have been blessed for kingdom service. To take our message with you wherever you stand. I recently came into this idea and this notion that, you know, Someone said, Pastor, you need to know that there's a large percentage of your congregation that probably still has guilt that they aren't doing vocational ministry. I said, really? And some of y'all probably even in this room still wrestle like, man, I got out of campus ministry. Should I have done that? Man, I was this and I'm not that. Could I be better served if I spent 40 to 60 hours of my week working strategically for the kingdom? I just want to loose you from that lie right now in Jesus' name. That's a lie from the devil. Our king is the king of the whole world. And he needs his emissaries everywhere. Our job is to keep you informed. It's to keep you fueled up. It's so that as you are out there in the marketplace, in the classrooms, in the schools, that when they beat you up because you can't quite live out your faith how you want to, you can come run to your pastors and your elders, your deacons, and we can love on you. And we can send you back out so you can be faithful where you are. That's our role. And we don't need everybody on this side. We need most of us on that side. You're not all apostles, you're not all pastors, but all of us are messengers. So wherever you are, if you're a stay-at-home mom, stay there and be faithful. And know that God has called you in this season with those babies to immerse yourself in our message and to share that message wherever you get the opportunity. 
know wherever you are in whatever class, whatever 101, 201, 301, whatever mess hall, whatever big group meeting, whatever campus you are on, God has strategically placed you there. Don't be in a hurry to get out of there. He's placed you there so his message can be faithfully proclaimed. And whatever hall, whatever Wall Street, Beale Street, whatever courtroom God has placed you in, he's placed you there for a reason, my friend and my sister. Don't be in a hurry to move from that station. God's placed you there so our message can be faithfully proclaimed there. So that means that every one of us needs to receive our message. We need to grow in our message. and We need to be prepared to share it. Every one of us in this room, we got to receive our message continually. Y'all know that's one of my favorite ideas in Scripture, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. We got to keep receiving this message, grounding ourselves in it. We got to grow in it. We got to be prepared to share it. So the messenger of this 16-chapter volume is Paul, and he's been called, he's been set apart for a specific purpose to share this message. What's the message? Everybody say, what's the message, pastor? You got to put some stuff on it, pastor. There you go. Somebody in there, come on. See, Bob always hooked me up. It was Sam or Bob. What's the message? Well, we do know this, that it was promised beforehand. How? Through the prophets, in the Holy Scriptures, the prophets obviously speaking about all those from the law and the Torah, right? Those prophets, that's the prophetic corpus, that this idea about a Messiah, the anointed one, the Christos, that's been all the way throughout Scripture, Genesis 3.15, right? Someone is coming. That's the whole idea of 39 books of our canon is someone is coming. And what Paul is now doing on the other side of the resurrection is he's tying the Jewish promises to what has just occurred at Calvary. He says, hey, these things were promised beforehand through the Holy Scriptures. Verses 3 through 6 give us this idea. Let me make sure I get to it. Not just that this is just anybody. But there is some continuity here. The message that Paul has been set apart for is regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, colon, Jesus Christ our Lord. We kind of said this a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about uh, the anniversary. I just want to make sure we get it here too. If ever you are confused about what the gospel is, go simple. Jesus. Just stay right there. You know what I'm saying? I think uh, that is so simple that it's all-encompassing. But sometimes we can kind of try to go in the middle and make it too narrow and you're missing stuff. This is a good one, right? It's telling you that according to the flesh, who is Jesus? He's David's son, 2 Samuel 7. Go look it up. Hey, there's one who is coming who's going to continue in the mantle, the Davidic kingship, right, of David's line and of his kingdom. There will be no end. We'll sing that over and over and over again during the Advent season, right? And so all of our Jewish and brothers and sisters were looking for someone who was from that lineage who would be that ultimate king and reestablish the glory of Israel's house. Paul saying, it's Jesus. He's that son of David. But then I love this. He ain't just David's son, y'all. Can I get a witness somebody? 
David's son wouldn't have got the job done. He also had to have some divine sauce in that thing too. He's also divine of origin, and he's a son of God according to the Spirit. And what this is happening is linking the phraseology. It links the Messiah, the anointed one, to the character of God in the Old Testament, to the divine life of the Godhead. He is David's son, and he is also born of the Spirit, which means that David's long-awaited royal descendant, he actually is the son of God. He's the forgiver of our sins, and he's the king of the whole world. That's, this is really where I have been laying on my, my, my gospel. It's start broad and then start moving in narrow. But we got to understand, one of the things this, this book it tries to establish in the first 13 verses is that this thing is big. The gospel and its ramifications are big. It's bigger than just your personal alleviation of shame and guilt. It's big, baby. Aren't you good? Aren't you glad that, you know what, your shame and your guilt it's a part of it. God ain't going to leave that out. But what he's doing is so much bigger than your little 80 years on this earth. Some of y'all just need to hear that. God's doing a thing, and he cares about your thing, but he's, what he's doing is so much bigger than your little 90 years that you'll spend on this planet. Come on, man. I know that hurts you, but you make sure you don't forget it. Some of us have tipped the scales. We're like, oh, man, you know what? The gospel's really about me. It's like, uh, yes, but it's so much bigger. What God is doing is so much bigger, and aren't we fortunate that little old me don't get forgotten about in the big thing that God is doing? So it's about a recipient. It's about a message, messenger, Paul. It's about a message. It's the gospel. And the gospel is that the long-awaited promised king of, of Israel is actually the son of God and savior of the whole world. And he's going to redeem a people for his purposes. He's going to protect them until he brings them finally to himself. It's always about a recipient. There's no need to have a message if there ain't recipients. And the recipient specifically in this case is the Roman church. And what we see from Paul, coming back to the scriptures... It's verse 8. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Paul is thanking God for the recipients from the point that they first received it until now. I think one of the most encouraging things as me and Sean were driving back from Presbytery this week was just how much love there was in that place for the Avenue Community Church. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be real specific. Y'all forgive me, rebuke me if you need to. These little old white people love this little church. And I never seen more khakis and Oxfords in my life. Sean, what I had on when I went in there? I had my hat backwards, I had my vapor mask, you know, I had to swag it out. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I had the layered chains on and at the end, I am I lying? I ain't lying. It, there wasn't a row I passed by where people weren't grabbed. Let me hug your neck. Giving thanks 
for the body of Christ and those who have received the message of God and those who get to experience the message of God from those who've received it. It's such a blessing. When is the last time you've been expressed literal gratitude for those who've received it and those who get a chance to share it? Paul starts this whole next five verses is really about connectivity. It's thanksgiving, it's prayer, it's longing. This is what recipients do. They thank God for each other. They pray for each other, and they long to be with one another. Yeah, I know you got your hunting buddy from high school days, and you know y'all loved and y'all still chew and you spit and whatever. Amen for that. Ain't nobody trying to break that apart. But at what point does your affections for your new nature succeed who your boy was in high school? At which point do you start longing for the people who you have nothing in common with other than they love the person who saved your soul? That's what we do. We long for one another. I don't know you, brother, in Tanzania, but I love you, brother, and I'm thankful for the work that you're doing. I don't know you people uh, um, in Syrian refugee camp, wherever um, the mustard you get. I don't know you, but I'm thankful for you. And I'm grateful that you're receiving the message that our new king is now enthroned. Are you thankful? Are you thankful? Paul starts off and says, I just thank God for you because I hear that your faith is being established around the world. When we get so excited, I've been caught up in Dion mania. I'm looking every, every 30 minutes. I'm trying to find the next little sound bite. You know, I, my feelings was hurt a little bit after the game, just a little bit. Not too much. Amen. But do I have that kind of affection for God and his people and his things? Do I celebrate the work of God going on in the world and how faith is being established I pray that we would do so. He prays. How often are we praying for the church, the global church, the little church? I, I really get convicted. I had two pastors text me this week and say, I'm praying for you, brother. And I was like, man, when's the last time I prayed for them in their churches? I need to because I care about them. I care about this city. We're co-laborers in the same work. And I want to join, how can we, how can we be better, y'all? Starting with the head, how can we be better? Connecting ourselves, longing for and praying for, thanking God through the other members of our big family. But the big thrust of the last five verses, Paul says, I thank my God through you, through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. I don't want you to be aware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. And that in order that I might find a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. Paul is praying for connection. He wants to see the Roman church. He wants to be with them. 
because he knows that the body, we are a special organism, the body of Christ. And we're not meant to exist in silos, not in our individual church and not even in the big C church. We need each other. Everybody say, we need each other. We need the encouragement from one another. Hey, you can make it. Hey, it's okay. We're doing okay. You're doing a good thing. You're still God's son. You're still God's daughter. Keep moving forward. He's with you. He's not forsaking you. We need the encouragement. But I love this because you know Pastor Tim is all about the spiritual nature. We need the empowerment. So the writer of Hebrews says, hey, we don't need to forsake the assembling. We need to stir one another up to love and good works, right? Because there's something about, hey, the, the polarity and, and the energy that happens when two or three are gathered in his name. It's, we give life to what we do. The baby starts leaping inside of us when we're together. There's nothing more crushing than having your little light surrounded by a lot of darkness, is it? That thing can make you dimmer real quick. You're like, oh, Jesus. But, man, when we're together, it stirs something up in us. And I love how Paul says, I know, I'm already convinced. When I come up in the spot, I'm going to bless you. That's not arrogance. That's somebody who knows, hey, when I was born again, I was, I was given new giftings and new capacities to be able to bless my family. I have a role in this family. And my, my presence in this family matters. And if you are still a part of this church or some other church, and you think that when you're not there or you're not present and you're not involved, that that's, that's something that we can overcome, you're crazy. Yes, God is faithful, but his plan was to give us all that we need through all of us who are here. We need what you bring, brother. We need what you bring, sister. There is no doubt we are more blessed with you than without you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. You have things inside of you that our heavenly father has given you that none of us can replicate or duplicate. Paul knows it. He's confident in it. I know there are better preachers in the world. I know that there are better shepherds, but I'm the best shepherd for this house. Because I'm me and I'm here. And I know that's what God has designed for this season. And my faithfulness matters here. And yours does too. We need you. And I want you to be confident that when you show up, we blessed. You're a blessing to us. Why? Because you're a, a 65 on the Enneagram? <laughs> no it's because God called you and he set you apart and he blessed you and he equipped you for this season of life to be faithful at the avenue that's why you're a blessing to us this book is about the imperative nature, the significance, how important it is for the gospel to be rightly explained. This is going to be Paul's longest explanation of the gospel. That's what kind of makes it different. It's like I love some of his other books. I'm like, man, I love those more, a little, little bit more shorter, intense, condensed. But this is going to be 16 chapters, his longest explanation of the gospel. He goes into very good detail. Why? 
because we need the detail. The right explanation of God's word is so important to his people. How, how, how it affects them, how they reach, and how we grow. This is what we exist for, to be stewards of this message, to keep receiving it in our own hearts, and to be willingly offering it and sharing it to others in hopes that they would willingly receive it, and that way we would see a harvest. I cannot, I went home, I was so stirred up, I was so excited. I needed, I needed last night. I needed the barbacoa chip and nacho bar and the strawberry cake, but I also needed to hear about what God was doing around the world. I would just tell you, there are so many cool stories of just watching people who have done ministry longer than you, been through more than you. It's just so being there with Josh and Patrick and Will Savell and them and just celebrating 10 years of faithful gospel ministry, that was dope. But there's one particular story that just stuck out to me. It's so crazy. As Josh says, the pulse behind their ministry is how do we get, how do we get good sound theology to people who can't come to America or to Europe or wherever and pay $60,000 for a seminary education? Wait, how do we get that to them? And so that's the whole thesis is like, man, how do we, how do we make it accessible? So their team takes Seminary curriculum, puts it on a 32-gig SD card, and they're trying to get it in places where it literally is illegal. It's illegal to end up conspiring together to figure out how to take Mentos. It, which, which was the other one? It's the circular little mints that you put in there, right? The Altoids. Literally. Literally, there's people from Josh's crew who were so committed to getting the messages in place where it can be rightly explained and willingly received that they took out the Altoids, made a false layer underneath the Altoids with SD cards full of a whole seminary's worth of education to get it into certain countries. It's a group who know, they, they are confident that where the gospel is preached and willingly received, it will bear fruit. If we could just say it and get it there, it will bear a harvest. Where are you in this journey? We have a message, and we need messengers, and we need recipients. Where are you in the ecosystem? And if at nothing else, can you commit yourself to continuing to receive and receive until you are so big, you ain't you just forced to roll out the dough and share what you have. This is the journey we're going to undertake. And we're just going to see the beauty of how the gospel is explained in further detail, how it's received and how it will impact our lives. And that is a guarantee. If the gospel's preached and if it's received willingly, it will bear fruit.
pray with me? Trey, come on up. God, help us to take this message and our lives to verify it to the uttermost parts of the earth.